I had a friend uh, in ministry. She was a youth director, and she was on a mission trip. She was serving in Australia. Uh, a group of uh, youth directors and pastors were traveling to support and encourage um, youth ministries and youth pastors, specifically in Australia. And they were part of a team. Uh, she said it was a great, fun event. She had a, a funny story that came from that. Um, she, was, they, they, she was leading a silly um, game, and they broke this particular youth group into, into two groups of students, and she, they were going to have a, a competition. And she said, okay, I want this side, when your person is going and competing, I want you to cheer really loudly. I, wanna, I want you to root them on. And she was expecting them to go, woohoo, and yet cheer. And yet there was this awkward silence. She's like, that's weird. She's like, come on, you, you need to get excited and you need to root your member on. And then the awkward silence turned to nervous giggling and laughter. So apparently what happened was the, this particular rude uh, word, root, you know, to cheer someone on in Australia, at least in the section that my friend was serving, and she didn't realize that the word root was slang for sexual intercourse. So she was telling a group of high school students, when you have sexual intercourse, make it loud. So they had to readjust and, and do all those things. Now, why do I tell that story? Do I really need a reason? That's just such a good story. I, no, I, I tell it because I want you to think about the power of a particular word or phrase. Most words don't just have one meaning, or at least they have several nuances in meaning. And as we press into the different meanings or nuances of a word or phrase, sometimes that can be powerful and significant in our lives. For example, there's a phrase that was really life-changing to me. The, the word or idea of heaven and the phrase the kingdom of heaven, I used to always think of that as merely something in the future, something that I was hopeful that in, through my faith in Jesus Christ, I would experience heaven. But as I studied how Jesus used that phrase and the language that he put around it, like he didn't just talk about it in the future, but he said in the present there is a, a nearness of the kingdom of heaven. The, the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or there was times when he would say, the kingdom of heaven has come. Well, that little nuance of meaning, I began to think and understand the kingdom of heaven, not just a future hope, but a potential present reality. So there's power in words and phrases. We've been in a series, this is our second week, on a series on the healing ministry of Jesus and his church. And I would like for us to focus on one particular word that Jesus uses. In fact, we're going to be looking at a really neat chapter in Scripture. So um, get your Bible out at home and open up to Luke chapter 8. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at one particular word that Jesus uses, and yet look at how he uses it in different circumstances, in different ways, with different applications. And my hope and desire is that as we unpack that word, that it will become even life-changing for us if we see how Jesus used it. Now, uh, this word, it's a simple word. It's a four-letter word. It's a Greek word, and it's sozo. Look at your neighbor and say, sozo. If you don't have a neighbor at home, look to Jesus and go, sozo, all right? I, I was trying to think of how could I help us Remember, I want you not to forget this Greek word because it's such a special word. 
Well, a number of years ago, as we were talking about, so, so it became so important to us that I had a friend who actually made t-shirts of Sozo, and I thought, hey, this would be a great opportunity to preach in a t-shirt. Is that okay? I mean, half of you are in your pajamas. I think I should be able to preach in a t-shirt every once in a while. <laughs> this idea of Sozo was so significant, I've got to get myself situated here, that this idea, and I want you to think about, Lord, what do you have for us in this one word, this one Greek word of Sozo? All right, so Luke chapter 8 is a, is a long chapter, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read parts of it. And I want you later, perhaps uh, tonight or this week, I want you to read the entire chapter. But would you start with me in, in verse 1? And we're going to read just the first couple of verses. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another. If you remember, last week he used his home basis of Capernaum. And he was ministering there. Well, now this is another phase in the ministry of Jesus. And we get a picture where he starts traveling from town to town. And he starts preaching the kingdom of God. So again, it says he's traveling from town to town, village to village, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him the apostles, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. I love this little picture that uh, Luke gives us of the ministry of Jesus. Notice two things about this. Jesus has an entourage. Have you ever thought about Jesus having an entourage? Yes, it's the 12 apostles, but who else does Luke bring out? It was women that had been healed, that were traveling with Jesus, part of his posse. And in fact, we know that Jesus was also discipling the women. We, we know there are times when he allowed like a Mary to, to sit at his feet and take in the word, to take in the truth, take in the revelation. And in fact, it's kind of neat to think about that many of these women were not only healed, but some of them were, were women of influence and wealth, and their wealth was supporting the ministry. Now, Jesus is going to jump into a parable it's a famous parable. It's a long parable about, it's called the parable of the sower. But I think that's wrongly named because really it's not so much about the sower who is God or Jesus. It's more about the four soils, which is a representation of our hearts. And Jesus is trying to get us to reflect on how we listen. He's going to say, be careful how you listen. Be thoughtful how you listen to the word of God because it's going to make a huge difference in your life. Now remember we're told he was proclaiming the kingdom of God. Look at verse 10 with me. He shares the parable of the four soils. The, the disciples turn to him and say, we don't get it, Jesus. And he says this in verse 10. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God. It's the essence of what his parables were about. They were secrets of the kingdom of God. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables. In, in other words, he's saying there is this 
this truth, this revelation, this knowledge about the kingdom of God that has been secret. But if you have determined to be a follower of Jesus, you get this unique access and understanding. He will give you insight into the kingdom of God if you are a follower of Jesus. The parables, they're not trying to um, distract or confuse people, but they are a test of those who are not followers of Jesus on how they're listening. And if they listen in a distracted way, if they listen in a way that really lacks interest or passion, then the parable will come and go. The secrets of the kingdom of God will come and go. If you listen in a distracted way, the kingdom of God, the secrets of the kingdom of God will come and go. But if we bring passion and curiosity and interest, well then, the secrets of the kingdom of God are unfolded to us. Makes me want to listen really attentively. And how you listen is really the message of the, the, four, the four soils. Look at um, verse 11, where Jesus, again, the disciples said, we don't get it, unpack the parable. And he says this, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones, the path is the first form of soil, ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. That, the last word of verse 12 is saved. If you've got a highlighter or, or maybe grab one or a pen or a pencil, I want to encourage you to highlight that last word of verse 12, which is saved. Do you know what word that is in the Greek? Thank you. We have limited audience here. Yes, it's, it's sozo. It's the first use of the word sozo. Now, Jesus is using this in a particular way. Let's let the context define sozo for us. It, uh, according to this context, the parable of the four soils, what is the meaning of sozo? In a very biblical, traditional sense, it means spiritual salvation. You will be saved from the consequences of your sin. You will be saved from the fires of hell. You will be saved from the continual, uh, for a, a, an eternity separate from God. It means salvation. Very significant aspect of the meaning of the word sozo. Jesus came and he wants us to hear the word of God preached in such a way that we would be sozoed we would be saved from the consequences of our sin. Interesting, look at verse 15, and he talks about the fourth soil. The path was the first soil. The fourth soil, in verse 15, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, or other translation is, is hold on to it, and by persevering, by walking with, by journeying with the word of God, you produce a crop. In other words, within the kingdom of God, fruit-bearing matters. And often in the kingdom of God, sustained work, holding on to the word of God is the only way we produce, he produces fruit in our lives. Again, 
Jesus is saying, be careful how you listen. He gives two short stories. We see two short stories after the parable. One, he talks about a light, which is again the word of God. He says it's a lamp and you don't hide it in a in a clay jar. You don't put it under a bed. No, you're meant to put it on a lampstand. He says, look at uh, verse 18 with me. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Is the word of God shining through your life? Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. So much matters about how we carry the word of God. Next, Jesus' mothers and brothers Mother and brothers come to him and they can't get to him because of the crowd. And someone says, hey, hey, your family is here. Listen to what Jesus says. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Verse 21. Jesus really wants us to pay attention to how we hear the word because it can be the difference between whether we are sozoed or saved or we are not. All right. Jesus teaching this, having these experiences, the next use of sozo comes in the story that most of you know is when Jesus decides to get in a boat and they're going to Uh, sail across a lake and there is this huge storm that comes up. Jesus is falling asleep and um, it's raging back and forth, the storm, and the disciples are scared and Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Look at verse 21. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And says, Jesus got up, he, he rebuked the wind in the raging waters. And then he asks this question. Where is your faith? And I think that the apostles must have been faith. What, what does that have to do with anything? I, this is water and raging. and We're about to drown. We're not talking about faith, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, no. We're talking about faith. And then they ask this, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the waters, and they obey him. This was about not only faith, but identity of Jesus, and whether they would believe him for more. And see, I think this story uh, of the storm is directly connected to the next story. That that these two are are together in this sense is that Jesus is going to, they're going to land and they're going to go into what's believed a region that's not a Jewish region, but a Gentile and Gerasenes. And they're going to land there and they're going to come across a man who is demon-possessed, we're told, that he is struggling so much that he has, um, he has, uh, he, he no longer lives in clothes and in a home. He lives among the tombstones. And they come and they confront Jesus. And it's interesting what they say. They say, to, this man says to Jesus, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In terms of identity, the demons, they have no doubt who Jesus is. And in fact, because they know who Jesus is and the authority he brings, I believe that 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 storm that Jesus and the disciples experienced wasn't just any kind of storm. Perhaps it had some demonic influence on that storm because these demons did not want Jesus to get to their shores. 
They did not want to be confronted by Jesus because they knew who he was and the authority that he brought. Now, Jesus is going to heal the man and he's going to be sitting at the feet of Jesus and the townspeople come. I'll let you read the the full and significant story. The, The townspeople come Look at verse 35, or the second part of verse 35. It says, when they, the townspeople, came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Now, if you've got your highlighter, your pencil, again, that last verse in verse 36, would you highlight that last word in verse 36? Cured. Guess, three guesses what that Greek word is in that. Yes, it's sozo. Now, from the context, how do we understand the nuance or the further meaning of sozo. In the original, in the parable, it was spiritual salvation or healing, but now you could say it was inner healing. It was, you could define it as deliverance, that this man's soul was not right. It was not at peace. It was disturbed. In fact, when Jesus asks The name of the man, they say legion, which represents that there were thousands potentially of demons within this man. And Jesus, when he heard thousands, he didn't go, that's out of my league. That's that's too many. I mean, maybe seven I could deal with. But does Jesus do that? No. Jesus knows that he has authority and power to sozo this man. Did you notice the, the two words, in his right mind? Jesus has the ability to right our minds, right our souls, right our hearts. Any areas, again, Love the phrase by uh, dear saint talked about the ruined soul. The ruined soul. Any aspect off in our hearts and our minds, Jesus wants to sozo. I was in a seminary class with a, um, my professor was a missionary, Chuck Kraft was his name. And he talked a lot about inner healing and he talked a lot about uh, demonic work. And, And I believe that today's day and age that there is demonic activity, but most of us have been trained to dismiss demonic activity or supernatural as all, as just being, um, uh, from the dark ages, right? That we are not enlightened. I don't believe that's true. I believe that demonic activity is real and is present around the world, including in our lives. But I also believe that there are profound psychological wounds and emotional wounds that are present. So my teacher, Chuck Kraft, was was teaching, and and he was talking about the the dynamic of the psychological and the spiritual and, and working with and seeking healing for both. And I raised my hand. I, I said, uh, um, Professor, how do you know the difference? How do you know whether it's psychological or spiritual? And he said, rats to garbage. Still remember that. And I said, thank you. I'm, are you speaking in a parable? I don't quite understand what you're saying. You're saying that we believe from a biblical worldview in both. That sometimes there's psychological issues that are happening. Sometimes we are wounded and and, um, 
And that is the garbage. And that God wants to heal. There's, in fact, many scriptures that talk about the healing of the brokenhearted. And yet, unfortunately, when that garbage is present in our souls, the rats are drawn and the rats are the de demonic activity that sometimes intertwine in those things. And he said, here's the key. Jesus wants to heal both. At the end of the day, it might not even matter which is which as long as we're seeking healing and restoration for both. Jesus wants to bring that healing and restoration to both. That experience of a healing of a broken heart, that oppression by a demonic spirit, Jesus says, Sozo is available for you. Do you hear me? Would you ask? Now, the third use of sozo in Luke chapter 8 comes in the midst of a story where Jesus, we're actually going to preach on this story in a couple of weeks. So I'm not going to unpack it too much. I just want you to notice a couple of things. It's a woman who's been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And, and the way that the story is written, she, she was seeking medical help for all this time, and everything that she tried um, could not stop her bleeding. So apparently she hears Jesus is coming by and, and she believes if she just touches his, his, his garment, just the edge of the garment, and she does so, he's, Jesus is crowded, he's, he's traveling, and, and she touches his garment, and, and she's healed, right? And no one knows this, no one sees her, because actually a woman wasn't, certainly was not supposed to touch any part, even the clothes of a rabbi, of a teacher, and a woman who is bleeding was continue, uh, considered ceremonially or religiously unclean. So this was a really controversial thing for her to do, to touch his garment. She does, and she's healed. And Jesus stops and goes, Hey, who touched me? And of course, the disciples are like, you know, a lot of people are touching. He says, no, no, no. Someone touched me and power went from me. Look at verse 46. But Jesus says, someone touched me and I know that power has gone out from me. Verse 47, then the woman, seeing that she could no, not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Verse 18, the word healed, guess what Greek word that is? That's our sozo word. Slightly a different nuance than salvation and deliverance. And now you have a physical healing that was experienced by the woman. I want you to notice a couple of things from the story. One is Jesus oftentimes talks about faith. Hold on to that and remember that faith matters in the healing ministry of Jesus and his church. Another thing I want you to hold on to is the idea of power, power coming from Jesus. Power and authority matter in the healing ministry of Jesus and his church. And then the final thing I want you to notice is peace. That this woman had no peace, no shalom 
and part of Sozo. Her experiencing Sozo was bringing peace to her life, to her body, because of her faith. Daughter, your faith has sozoed you. Go in peace. I mentioned last week I, I want us to hear from some different voices. Um, and many of you know, if you're part of Springs Community Church, uh, that Veda Riley is on our staff. She's a, a super volunteer. She is our prophetic stream leader. And she had a testimony that I'm excited for you all to hear. We pre-recorded because of COVID-19. So uh, listen to this testimony by Veda. Hey church, um, I'm here with Veda Riley, who is uh, a, our prophetic stream leader here at the church, and she really coordinates so much of uh, the prayer vigils, um, the house of prayer, so much that happens uh, in ministry. Um, we're so thankful uh, to have Veda here. So, um, And Veda has actually several stories of healing, which is beautiful. I've asked her if she'd be willing to, to share just one uh, <laughs> with us for the sake of time. And so actually, I was going to have Veda share her first experience of healing in the name of Christ, and that was in 2007. Veda was a dental hygienist for many, many years. She had to get surgery on her elbow, and in the recovery process, there was many, many complications. Veda, would you tell us a little bit about that? I would love to. So I was a dental hygienist, so from repetitive motion, just what you do for your job, um, I developed some nerve pain, and they said, oh, gosh, we can help that with surgery. So I underwent a radial tunnel, ulnar nerve decompression, reposition surgery, um, was successful, but then... I developed the same nerve pain back and they said, well, there's nothing we can do. Let us give you this um, medicine. It's used for seizures, but we've also found it's great for nerve pain. And so I started to take that and it was like a miracle drug in the beginning. Uh, this nerve pain was just unrelenting uh, that they gave it to me for. It was like having bugs with really sharp claws going up and down your uh, bones um, constantly. Medication also started to affect uh, brain function, did it mm -hmm. not? It did. And so at first it was a miracle drug and then it turned on me and it started causing uh, a lot of other problems. Mm -hmm. uh, I started not being able to read. I couldn't mm -hmm. carry on conversation with my husband or anybody else. Mm -hmm. I had teenagers at home at the time. So it's not a good time not to mm -hmm. be hundred percent of a mom. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was really devastating. And they said, well, you know, maybe you have a brain tumor. So had that MRI, everything was fine with the brain, but they said, well, it might be this medication, but this is as good as it's going to get. You have to stop taking it. Now you had the church praying for you. Several people were praying, but you were not experiencing any kind of healing uh, uh, any kind of movement in both the nerves and your brain function. Were you pretty discouraged uh, during those times? Um, I would have to say yes, because, you know, I, I know God is good, and I know the power of prayer is just amazingly powerful. So I, I trusted that I was going for prayer. I was asking for prayer. People were praying in faith and praying in Jesus' name but nothing was really happening or it might happen for like a week and then it would all be back. And I thought, Oh, mm -hmm. I'm just going to have to learn to live with this. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think I really gave up hope, but I was bordering on hopelessness as far as this healing. Mm -hmm. And, um, mm -hmm. but then, <laughs> but that, so you, so there's a good friend, a mutual friend we have. He's a pastor, Tim Vink. He's uh, spoken to our congregation before. And he, I believe, is gifted in, in healing and restoration. Pastor Steve invited him to come. Yes. And there was a moment where you were invited. So tell us about that. Well, tell us about what, 
what Paul, your husband said, and then, yeah. uh, and then you explain well, you know, that day was April 29th of 07. And okay. it was just, there was such an atmosphere of expectation of healing. Uh, Tim preached that day and shared with us uh, about the power of the Holy Spirit and that praying in faith and asking for that, uh, asking for the Holy Spirit to, to heal. Um, so there was just an air of expectation. So we were sitting there and it was towards the end of the service. And my husband, Paul said, today's the day you're going to be healed. And I thought, okay. <laughs> I mean, I just, I thought, well, sure, I'll, I'll go, you know, I'll play along. So we went up and I it love was when our spouses have more faith than <laughs> Well, I, I had yeah. just been through so much and I couldn't even carry on conversation. So I, he just, pulled me by the hand and mm. we went back there, David Henney and Wes Asado, we were at their station and they were praying and David had been in the group that had been praying for me for so long. And so he prayed and said, Lord, we have prayed for this woman for so long, please heal her. And I don't know that those are exact words that he prayed, but all of a sudden something exploded inside of me mm. and I I guess that's the Holy Spirit. I don't know. But by the time we got home, five minutes from the church, I was able to carry on conversation with my husband for the first time in so many months. Mm -hmm. And I had no pain down my arm. Mm -hmm. And I was fully healed. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited. And when I opened my mouth to talk to my husband, words came out I mean, like, thoughts. Uh, yeah. absolutely uh, and so we we just rejoiced and I called Pastor Steve right away and he had already flown to California and I said oh my gosh I have to share this with you and he said never keep that to yourself proclaim it from the rooftops because God has done a miraculous thing for you Amen. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Beta, you said just thinking moving forward as a church, mm -hmm. you said there was a particular psalm in this idea from the psalm that you really, I guess, held on to, you claimed, you rested as you were in that struggling moment, praying for healing, but not mm -hmm. seeing anything happen. Can you share that with us? Yes, if it had not been for Psalm 27, uh, verse 14, I, I think I would have really fallen in a deep pit mm. of hopelessness. Mm. Uh, let me read it to you. It'll, I pray that it'll do the same for you. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And I have to say, during that time, I knew God was good, like I said. I knew he was going to heal me, but I didn't know when. And I didn't know what that would look like. Mm. And so, uh, you know, if it hadn't been for these verses, I would have been completely hopeless yeah. because it had just gone on for so long. Well, I know it's your heart to see us as a congregation grow and yes. learning to pray for one another. It's so neat that even though Tim came in, um, he wasn't the one that prayed for you. It was, it was David and Wes and <laughs> using community of faith and sometimes we don't always understand uh god's timing or god's work but trusting him and holding on to that i hope and pray that we as as uh people of god can continue to wait on the lord and trust him for his work and continue to offer our need of healing areas of healing as well as hold one another's areas of healing for him amen yeah. and and i also believe that what i was freely given i should freely give mm. and I, I think that's so important when god has done something for you whether it's inner healing physical healing it doesn't matter then you know you kind of have you're in a different place and you can lay hands on people and pray for them in that way yeah. And I've done that in, in so many other healings that I've experienced. And it, I think as a church, I would love to see us rise up in that power of the Holy Spirit because it's not us. It's not me. It, it wasn't Tim, but it's what the message he carried. And the Holy Spirit empowers all of us. And there's mm -hmm. nothing we can't do without without christ amen yeah. thank you my sacred friend beautiful, so beautiful story 
blessing, I'm sure, to not only me, but our entire congregation. God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> what a wonderful story from Veda. Wanted to look at the final usage of sozo. It's kind of intertwined in the woman who was bleeding and healed. There was a uh, synagogue ruler, we're told. So Jesus is journeying back into uh, Jewish regions and cities and towns. And, and this Jewish ruler, Jairus, had a, a daughter who was sick and dying. He had told Jesus, Jesus was traveling to his home. That's when uh, uh, the, the healing of the woman took place. Well, once she's healed, Jesus continues on. The crowd is following, but then... Uh, representatives from his household come to the uh, uh, synagogue ruler, uh, Jairus, and say, don't bother the teacher anymore. We're sorry your daughter has passed away. Interesting, they just assumed that this was out of Jesus' realm or influence or league, as it were. And so uh, Jesus hears these words of the leaders, and listen to how Jesus responds in verse 50 of Luke 8. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be sozoed, healed. I want to highlight that final word in verse 50. Jesus goes back to Jairus' home. And we're told, this is kind of the granddaddy of the word sozo, that the girl, though she had died, Jesus prays and her spirit returns to her body. Resurrection. She's given new life. This is a, a foreshadowing, of course, of what we just celebrated in Easter, that, that Jesus says, I have conquered death, and because I am resurrected, so you will be resurrected. Jesus has the power to do this. This story foreshadows and really expands our understanding of sozo that much more, that this is new life. This is resurrection living. This is what Jesus wants to do full restoration. That's God's ultimate goal, that we would be sozoed in every way, shape, and form. We would be renewed. We'd be healed. We'd be restored. We would be resurrected. Now, how do we respond to this one simple Greek word of sozo, I want to suggest two quick ways. One is this. I believe that Jesus wants to expand our thinking of who he wants to be in our lives and what he wants to do in our lives. That there should be question, is there any aspect of life that Jesus doesn't want to touch. Well, maybe COVID-19. I, I, don't, I don't think this really has to do with anything happening today. No! Jesus is saying, when are you not just going to come to me as your Savior? To experience spiritual salvation, yes, foundation, crucial and huge, but I want to do so much more in your life. If you would simply hear and ask, is there any hurt, is there any wound, is there any pain that Jesus is not interested in, I would say, our understanding, our expanded understanding of the word sozo, we have to answer that with no. That everything in our lives, every hurt, every pain, every struggle, Jesus wants to sozo in your life. 
The second thing I would say is this. Luke 19.10, Jesus said this about his own life and ministry. For the Son of Man came to seek and sozo. For the Son of Man came to seek and to sozo what was lost. That's what Jesus wants to do. Our second is this. I believe that we're called to wrestle and journey this sozo path. That, that we're called, did you hear that there's, there's an element of, of perseverance and when it comes to the word of God, holding on the word of God. When, when it comes to faith, we're journeying. In fact, you, you heard from Veda this idea, she was unsure and, and, and the struggle, and yet we're called to journey. What would it look like if as a community of faith, Perhaps we don't understand fully this healing ministry of Jesus in the church. I don't think we ever, ever will on this side of heaven, right? We're, we're here, we're understanding. And yet, what would it look like if we persevered with one another? If we wrestled in prayer with one another? Every aspect of our lives that needed healing, and restoration. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 6.18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. He didn't say a few occasions. He didn't talk about certain circumstances, but not other circumstances. He says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. What if we lived that Ephesians 6.18 for one another? What if we carried one another's mats in, like, in this way, regardless of whether it's spiritual or emotional, whether it's physical or relational, regardless? Listen to what he says about, there's a, there's an early disciple that served alongside Paul, and his name, he has kind of a funny name, Epaphras. Epaphras. And he says this, Epaphras was apparently from um, uh, the church in Colossians, and he says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. What if we were, how do I say that, epiphrases to one another? What if we were persevering, believing and hearing? We heard you, Jesus. Sozo is this profound and, and, and the, the breath and the width of that word that, that you want to touch every aspect of our lives, and I've only come to you with this. What if, like Epaphras, we wrestled in prayer for one another and determined to do that? I believe that we would start hearing more and more testimonies of people being sozoed. You heard from last week, Marilyn was sozoed. You heard this morning, Veda, sozoed. I believe if we wrestled like this, more and more, we would be hearing testimonies after testimonies of people being sozoed. It just depends on are we hearing the word of God? Are we carrying it? And are we putting it into practice? Would you pray with me? Just confess that... Um, I continually wrestle with and 
an instinct, my first instinct when I experience any kind of wound or pain or physical issue, my first thought is the professional that can address this. Whether a doctor or a counselor or a pastor, whatever that is, my first thought. Not that those professionals don't have a role to play. Hallelujah, God has given them expertise. And yes, we are to turn to them, but I'm, I'm so wanting it not to be my first thought. I'm so wanting it not to be your first thought. My, my desire is that our first thought when we experience a pain or a, wor- or a struggle is that our first thought would be a single Greek word. Sozo. And that we would bring that to Christ Jesus first and foremost. If you think with me about this idea of sozo, What is it that the Lord Jesus wants you to bring to him this morning? To receive his peace, his shalom, whether it's whether it's physical or emotional, or relational, or spiritual. We get to ask. Lord, would you make us like the woman who is bleeding that that we're going to press through, we're going to break through doubts and struggles and insecurities and, and even just to touch the hem of your cloak, Lord. We, we're going to trust you that you want sozo for us.